Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by WIND, a fixed pricey discovery tool by Eastet that lets you review documents and relativity at $299 per month. Learn more or sign up online at windlegal.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest advises private equity funds, companies, and management in leveraged buyouts and growth equity investment transactions. A partner in Goodwin's private equity group and a member of the firm's impact and responsible investing practice, Jane Grafe, welcome to Left Foot. Thanks, Nicole. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you as a guest on our program, Jane. Let's dive into the questions. Which of your personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful developing business? There's a number. They may all fall kind of within the same category. Patience, perseverance, and grit is certainly one category. Business development is a process. It takes a lifetime. It's been kind of like fitness where you have to keep at it. You know, almost everything I do in my professional life has to do one way or another with business development. The way I treat clients, the way I respond to clients, the way I deal with clients, obviously going out to look for new clients. You have to approach this as an everyday exercise. A little bit has to be done every day and the results don't always come right away as we would like them to. Some prospects take years and if you give up on them and you don't follow up on a regular basis and you stop treating them like a prospect and they stop being a prospect. But if you treat it as we're just going to keep at it and at some point it's going to bear fruit, then I think eventually not everything, but many of the things do bear fruit. Your ability to control your emotional response to things and getting past setbacks is probably another. Learn strengths. You can't take rejection personally in terms of client development. We've been in a number of pitches. I mean, all of us have where the response is just great, thanks. We'll find something to work on together, which usually doesn't mean anything. And you walk out of there and say, okay, well, you know, I just wasted an hour and a half at best case scenario or worst case scenario, I've just spent a day or more traveling somewhere to hear this. It's the ability to say, okay, great. I just met some interesting people. I just learned about somebody else's business. I'll reach out to them again in six months with an interesting article or the next time I'm in town and keep at it and not let yourself get down, I think is another really important trait that's helped me. I think being a really nice person helps. I'm not saying that I'm a really nice person, but I think being a nice person really helps. Business development is all about relationships at the end of the day and people want to deal in their lives, professional and personal, with somebody they enjoy working with and talking to. So I think being generally nice to people is a trait that helps in business development. Being nice is so important. It just makes business more pleasant. And I think it does help with the third point you made and really controlling your response. When people say to me, thank you for thinking of us not at this time, it feels a little better when that comes with a very positive comment, something that is truly nice when people are nice about saying they're not ready to do business. The fact that business development is a process absolutely agree. It's something we teach in our coursework at Left Foot. It's not about personality. It is a process and you have to keep at it. Comparing that to fitness, because I think most adults know that that is absolutely the same. (laughs) have to keep at it. Let's chat about your growth strategy. Obviously, you work for a big firm. There's expectations on your contribution to the firm, your practice's contribution to the firm. 
Each year, I'm assuming you sit down and do some planning around what's going on at your current clients that might lead to matters in the coming year, but also what prospective clients you'd be talking to. Can you talk a little bit about that strategy, that process, and then how often you go back and look at your strategy and basically measure how you're doing based on that strategy? Sure. My firm makes it easier to go back and look and try to measure. We fill out a personal evaluation every year, which includes, here's what's going on with me generally in terms of clients. Here's my biggest relationships are at the moment. Here's what I think is going to happen to them in the next year. And here's my top prospects. And my you know aspiration would be to bring X, Y, and Z over the next 12 months. A year, although obviously not on the day-to-day basis, right? You are forced to go back to it a year later. So I think we're all pretty good at kind of keeping that fairly top of mind throughout the course of the year. I keep a list of top five-ish prospects and it changes more frequently than, you know, I would have probably liked it to change, but it's a very kind of fluent list. And I think having flexibility about it is important. I mean, I might meet somebody at a conference, which is not how I typically develop business, but feels like a life prospect. But then you spend two or three months or six months and you realize that it's really leading nowhere and it goes to the bottom of the list. But there is usually a list. I wish I could tell you that it was a written list. It's not, but there's a list in my mind of the top few people that I, that I'm always thinking about what's my next step. More often than not, frankly, it's some person who was formerly at a client who went somewhere else. Those are my personal best leads. And so I'm always, always, always on top of those. And it's always thinking, okay, so they left, I congratulated them. It's now been a month and a half. It's time to ask for a meeting. Once we do that, well, what are our next steps? Who are the other people we should meet? Should we offer a teaching? It really depends on the situation. In my own personal best practice would be to spend a few minutes at least every other day. I think I probably do it more like once a week, but I do do it pretty consistently once a week. It takes 15 minutes, right? Most of the time you do it by email and it's just a follow up on a thread, a follow up on a lead, a follow up on a discussion point we had and set up next steps, send an article or do something. That's in terms of new clients. Does it lead to a new client every year? My practice is private equity. One client is usually a fairly large client. It doesn't usually lead to a new client every year. When it does lead to a new client every couple of years, that client will often grow to be something very large and last for a few years. So that that's how it typically works for me. And then always, always, always keep it, keep it in touch with existing clients. In between deals, let's grab lunch. What have you got going on next? If you're not busy, can we come in and train your junior people? What's useful? Constantly staying in touch. Obviously, you've had some success. I've read your bio and there's some pretty big private equity firms named in your profile, some that are very different styles of private equity firms. Can you share, without naming a firm, can you share a success story of where your efforts, both your strategic and your tactical efforts of staying in touch with current clients, as well as having that list of top next people and spending some time each week, can you share a success story of where you were surprised about the fact that one of your reach outs actually resulted in some business or one when the process worked for you, Jane? Sure. I'll share my almost fairy tale story. I had just joined Goodwin about six years ago. My background was leverage buyouts, although I have always done some minority deals and growth equity investments. And I was doing work for a longstanding Goodwin client who did mostly 
growth equity investments in minority deals. And they had a new MD that also recently joined them, who all whose background was also in leverage buyouts, but who was there doing that minority deal with me. So we sort of bonded over our common background and the differences between what we're used to in the minority deals, as well as, you know, weekend spent here at Goodwin trying to negotiate a deal. He actually ended up not doing any other deals at that client. And about a year and a half later, went and joined a private equity firm that I had never heard of. And the reason I've never heard of them is it was a very large Swiss publicly traded fund that really wasn't doing a whole lot in the U.S., but it just started, had just created a mandate to really get into the U.S. and hired this person to lead up their U.S. leverage buyouts initiative. I stayed in touch. I did the usual of, you know, congratulations, take you to lunch, meet your new colleagues, come do a teach-in. A few months later, we got our first deal because there was really no allegiance. They had well, very little infrastructure you know, for, that anybody else had there. They had very little infrastructure in the U.S. They've since become huge in the U.S. They're even bigger all over the world. We've done pretty much all of their U.S. leverage buyout work. We've I've introduced my real estate colleagues to their real estate practice, and we started doing their real estate work. It's just we've exploded into other asset classes. We've introduced them to our colleagues in Europe, and we've started doing work for them in London and working on other jurisdictions. So it's just been it's just been great. Core strategy of stay in touch with people who go to other clients. And now a word from our episode sponsor. Wind Legal is making e-discovery simple and beautiful. Sign up online at a fixed monthly price and get started using Relativity 9.5, the most popular and powerful e-discovery tool on the market. Wind membership is just $299. See why tech-savvy boutique law firms, nonprofits, and corporations are using Wind at windlegal.com. Does the compensation structure at Goodwin really promote partners landing and what we call land and expand, right? Getting in and selling their practice and then really supporting getting business for other practices? So yes, the compensation structure is less about your individual kind of silent practice, kind of eat what you kill, and is much more about various measures of collaboration. The biggest, of course, being bringing somebody in and bringing in other colleagues to work on them, but also working on matters that your colleagues bring in and generally collaborating with various practice groups. It's not a formula. It's a soft measure, but that's what the system promotes. And in your opinion, it works well? Yeah, I've been been pretty happy. Let's talk about women in business development. When you read press about what's going on in law firms and flex time, we hear the connection of women in law, women law partners, the number of women law partners. And then we hear a lot of chat around work-life balance and flexible work schedules. Every once in a while, there's an article that says part of the challenge of women in law firms has to do with business development. The question is, in your opinion, is it harder or is it different for women partners, women in law to do business development and do it consistently and successfully? What's your opinion on that? I don't think it is harder. The answer to whether it's different, I think it's it's both yes and no. No, because fundamentals are the same. The best practices of business development are probably the same for men and women. But yes, 
different in a way business development is about relationships, about developing relationships. And men and women often develop relationships differently. Some industries, like private equity, the client is a traditionally kind of male-dominated in terms of numbers. Certainly changing, though my clients have always been men, and that's still the case. It's sometimes harder to form the same relationship, you know, where two men become buddies over golf or even lunches and dinners and drinking. It's harder to take your male client alone drinking. You don't want necessarily to be misinterpreted. It's the reality. That's part of it, too. It's just the fact that it's male and female. It's different. It can be used to your advantage. So, again, it depends on the industry. A lot of the large corporations have female general counsel and a lot of women in their general counsel's office. And that's where, frankly, being a woman is sometimes easier to develop a relationship with a client like that. A lot of the clients are nationally, obviously, there is a lot of talk about diversity and a lot of talk about recognizing the value of diversity in your legal teams. And a number of clients are starting to specifically demand diverse legal teams, including women on their legal teams. And that, again, is sometimes women at law firms who are fewer than men and the opportunity that they may not have otherwise had. Different, yes, in a way. Harder. I don't think it's harder. Some women potentially perceive it as being harder, but for those who are willing to give it a try, I don't think it is. I think those are really great points. You know, the fact that it is different and the growth in the number of women general counsel, I think is going to be a huge factor in the future because I think you can see that pendulum shift already. I'm involved with a number of organizations that involve in-house general counsel and there are a lot of women in there. It's great to see. Excellent point. The demand for diversity. We're hearing it more and more from the top general counsel at these major organizations. I heard it recently from MetLife's general counsel. I've heard it from Walmart's Council, diversity is a requirement that can move in the favor of having women take that lead role on those teams and really be front and center. Along those lines, let's talk about personal brand. You know, we hear a lot on Left Foot about niching. We hear about developing a specialty and really promoting that specialty through writing, teaching, speaking. There's also that idea of women and men and brand. And, you know, what is your brand? I work with clients. I am very specific about the way I want to be perceived and try to adhere to that in my work, you know, whether it's the way I'm presenting myself, the context in which I will present information. Jane, how have you gone about in developing your personal brand? And is that different for women? And is there advice you would give a young woman partner or woman associate that would be different than advice you would give their male counterpart? I don't know that I would give any different advice. I think, again, you know, the fundamentals that apply to establishing a personal brand are true for both men and women. You need to find who it is that you want to be and do you either have a niche, do you have a specialty, what are your strengths, find the speaking engagements, find the writing opportunities, network, go and meet in the same industry, get your name out there. And I don't know that it's any different for men and women. One thing I would say, though, to women, which applies to men too, but I think it's, I'll explain why I think it's more important for women to hear that. It's be yourself. 
in developing that personal brand? Because I think we all, coming up through the ranks and thinking about our personal brands, we're necessarily looking at colleagues and our mentors and our rabbis and our work rabbis. And we think to ourselves, okay, I want to be that person or I want to be that part of that person or I want to emulate that behavior. And at least for me, when I was growing up as a lawyer, most of my mentors, my sponsors were all male. And it took me a while to figure out that I can develop a brand and I can get to the same place without trying to behave in a meeting or behave in a phone call exactly the way that one of my mentors behaved and which which didn't feel natural to me, even though I liked the perception. It's really strong advice. Absolutely. It does. And I think that's true. You like how they're doing it, but taking that information, taking that impression and making it your own, being yourself is such strong advice. At Left Foot, we touch on innovation, innovation in business development, innovation in the legal industry as a whole. Jane, in your opinion, what are you seeing today that you would consider truly innovative in the legal profession? I don't know that any of these is truly innovative, but they're all trends which are fairly, I think, innovative and are exploding and over time are changing the legal industry. One is a more business-like approach to practice of law. When I started practicing, there was this perception of law as a profession. If you do your best work, business development will come. Your clients are institutional clients and they'll hire the firm for their expertise. We all are recognizing, all the firms are recognizing that that's just not really true or not true anymore. And a law firm is a business and you have to approach it as a business and you have to encourage the right behaviors like business development. And I think that probably not innovative anymore, but it's sort of like a trend that's still finishing and still exploding. Another one is an increased level of club of law firms. The result of that historically often tended to be a fairly lone wolf silent profession where you bring your own clients, you develop your own business, and you kind of run with it. People are recognizing the reality that developing clients in a group, sharing clients across offices, a team-based approach to a client is much more successful. We as lawyers are struggling with that in a way. I think technology is starting to emerge, and I think as it becomes more effective, I really think that's the next innovation at law firms, using technology to collaborate much more effectively than we've been doing, developing a more standardized work product than we've had. And probably the last one is we've already touched on it, but it's the open demand for diversity in the teams, which we hear in about every pitch for a large corporate client, which I think is great. Strong points. I think one of the newer trends we're hearing around diversity is not only do you bring a diverse team, the person who you are bringing to be diverse needs to have actually a significant role. It can't be a talking head. There you go. The evolution of that. Love the point about a more business-like approach to the practice of law. The reasons we're seeing that is the need for efficiency, the need for effective project management, the fact that there are other legal service providers out there that are able to do some parts of each legal need at a company at a different price. Even, Jane, with the turnaround, we've heard a lot of guests say that the clients actually expect the best answer you can give them at the moment they need the answer, not the best answer they could give them if they spend a lot more time doing it. Right. Left Foot listeners are just starting, just getting on the partner track, new partners. What advice would you have for them about business development? Specifically for millennials, I'm always jealous because they have giant networks. Through their social media, they usually can reach a number of people. They can very quickly 
reach a large number of people who know who they are and are often willing to listen or at least take a look. So I would say use that, use it effectively. And the second part of my advice would probably be almost the flip side of that. Don't forget that there's no substitute for in-person meetings, in-person discussions. I keep coming back to this, but business development is all about building a relationship. We all build them differently, but at the end of the day, there's no substitute for building a relationship in person. Keep in mind who the clients are. Some prefer to talk on the phone. Don't hesitate to pick up the phone and travel to see the management team at the client to talk about what's going on. Great advice. And I think very effective advice. It's interesting that idea that millennials have these large networks and why not get your information out in front of them? We're seeing that in our guests that are millennials that they post and tweet our episodes and the number of listens is huge. And it happens quickly and it's amazing. And to be able to use that network to convey the fact that I'm working on, or I just completed this work for a client, this was our result, happy to consult with you and your clients on topics like this. What a great way to to get a message out. Jane, you work in a very, I think, interesting part of business, working with private equity clients and of course their portfolio companies. What do you enjoy most about the work that you do? Several things. What initially I think drew me to the private equity practice in the M&A practice is this, you know, adrenaline rush of getting a deal together. And after all these years, it's still there. This idea of being the quarterback of the entire process of making sure that a deal happens and all of its pieces fall into place. I still enjoy that. But what I enjoy the most is the interpersonal part of it. So on a daily basis, I talk to an incredible number of very smart, very interesting people on kind of very high levels, right? They do what I do and I can discuss complex topics with them very quickly, be it, you know, a negotiation with a lawyer on the other side, which I really like, the relationships with clients, the relationships with my coworkers, my colleagues, or training junior associates. Being part of that network of incredibly smart, incredibly interesting people is what I enjoy the most. Jane, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to convey before we say goodbye? I think that's it. My pleasure. I really enjoyed being on with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.